Welcome to Josh's Worst Nightmare Oddcast, presented by Denver Horror Collective. I'm your host, author Josh Schlossberg, surveying the dark landscape of biological horror fiction. For this episode, we're being swooped in on by Tim Eagle. Tim Eagle, author of Stolen Seed, lives full-time on the road with his wife, Maria, and dog, Coco. He grew up in Michigan and is inspired by the dysfunction, insanity, and nepotism of rural America. Check out his website at timeaglefiction.com. Welcome to my nightmare, Tim. Thanks for having me, Josh. Appreciate it. For sure. Well, on Josh's Worst Nightmare, I invite on horror authors to talk about an aspect of biological horror, which I define broadly as living creatures and vital processes relevant to their writing. This episode, we're talking about the male reproductive system. So what relevance does this have to any of your fiction, Tim? Well, it is um, quite a bit of relevancy, actually. Um, I wrote a, a trilogy called the Vasectomist Trilogy. Um, so the vast deference is definitely uh, part of that whole thing. Um, and I don't know, the, the, it's, the Vasectomist Trilogy was what kind of put my work out there um, on the extreme end of my horror. And it deals with um, not only male anatomy, but female anatomy as well. Um, but the byproduct of male anatomy and the fear of, um, you know, creating children. So um, that's kind of like how it, how it relates to some of my work. Um, yeah. Well, that's, that's pretty fascinating. So without giving anything away your story, so the fear of creating children in, in what regard? Well, the, just not wanting children. Um, from a male perspective is uh, is probably more common than what, you know, we want to admit to most times. Uh, so, you know, um, my character, it's viewed as hateful a lot of times, like how could you not want to create um, a child, you know, especially as much as we live in a society where, you know, children are kind of worshiped in a way. Um, so my character has a lot of um my character saber in the book the sectimus has a lot of hatred towards the fact of not wanting to create where his wife is obsessed with wanting to have a child because she's you know established a career and she's decided to move forward in her life as a a woman so um, wants to have a child with her husband um and he doesn't. He wants to get a vasectomy. <laughs> so uh, that's kind of where the story starts. That's really interesting. Yeah, that's something that does come up, of course. And there are, of course, environmental concerns people have. And then there are just responsibility, then costs and stuff like that. So I think that's a, it's a really interesting exploration that seems worth checking out for sure. So, so of course, uh, for those who don't know, Babies are made when two people love each other very, very much. And basically some sort of my understanding, it's like you, you pee in someone's butt and then like, am I off? I don't know. But anyway, you look it up on your own. You can find it out on Google, but anyway, so the, the male reproductive system that we're talking about right now, there's plenty of 
gross and weird and fascinating things we can talk about. We have before done whole episodes on female, female body and aspects of that and talking about literal biology, but also, you know, societal things and then how that might be symbolic in the horror world. But let's just, let's start with balls, (laughs) right? So of course there, there's the, oh, it's got a lot of balls, right? So like testosterone and stuff like that. But it's interesting because also that's our most vulnerable spot on our body, right? So what do you think about just, what do you think about balls? <laughs> well, from a, a male perspective, they're always one of those, you know, they're, the, they're ugly little monsters dangling off the uh, midsection of our bodies. Um, and my earliest experience with balls, of course, is, you know, maybe fifth grade or fourth grade. We used to have to walk to this library where um, young kids would screw around. And I was friends with this kind of off the rails type kid and he kicked me in my balls and it really hurt but it was like my first experience um with pain in my balls and it really kind of traumatized me a little bit um i don't know maybe that kid's personality was in the vasectomist trilogy as saver um you know uh because he had so much he had a weird upbringing and it was all kind of uncanny but getting kicked in the balls. Of course, I immediately went to the restroom and checked to make sure they were all intact. And they were, of course, but you know, I was in pain. It was for the very first time I felt pain. So I knew from then on, I would have to do everything I could to protect that, that ball sack. (laughs) Yes. Yeah. And, and I think of course, it's a great equalizer in a lot of ways. So you can think about in horror fiction, but also in real life, where maybe a man is physically tussling with a, a woman and most men outweigh women. Most men have more physical upper body strength on average, but if you can get into the balls there, you know, they're, they're down for the count. So it's interesting how that, that has a lot of symbolic connotation as well, potentially. Truly it, it, it does. Yeah. And they're also, I mean, they're, they are weird. And you mentioned they're ugly. So I, I think there are women out there that are, they like dicks, right? They're, I don't think they like, they worship the anatomy the way a lot of men do. We'll go to a strip club and just stare at women's anatomy. It doesn't seem to translate as much for the most part, but even women who are like, they like dicks. I don't think there's hardly any women who are like really into balls so I'm not, would you agree with that? <laughs> yeah. In fact, um, I, I like this female comedian named uh, Eliza Schlesinger and yeah. she has like her earlier stuff. Actually, um, she has a skit on balls and how disgusting they are and how ugly they are. And I couldn't stop laughing because it was it's refreshing to sometimes get a female's take on on life because we're so bombarded with a lot of, you know, the male versions of everything. So when I first heard that, it was, uh, it was, it was really funny. Um, but I agree with you. The, the balls are never spoken about or reverenced or, you know, worshiped at all, like, you know, the phallus. So, right. Uh, right. <laughs> I yeah, totally the, agree with you there. 
Yeah, the phallus gets all the attention, although it's just the transmission. Everything that is valuable about the phallus comes from the ball. So maybe not to get political, but maybe there should be a movement where we're we're advocating for more testicular appreciation. I, I think we would be a minority in that movement, but yeah, um, def- definitely. Um, I don't know if I, I would even want to join it, <laughs> that movement. That's fair. Um, yeah, I don't know yeah. what that would entail, but it makes me think about how, of course, breast cancer is a really important cause and, and it's a really uh, awful situation. I've had people in my family and, and but testicular cancer is, is as common. It doesn't seem to get as much attention. I wonder if it's just because balls are gross, whereas everyone is fine with boobs. <laughs> yeah, I think so. Yeah, I, I really do. I mean, prostate cancer is nothing to, to laugh about. And granted, that's not a part of your balls, but it's a part of that whole anatomy, you know, that we're talking about. <laughs> right. So, um, yeah. Yeah, well, the, yeah, testicular cancer and then prostate cancer, which most men past a certain age, like in their eighties and stuff like do get a form of that. So it isn't, yeah, we just don't, we don't like to talk about, about that stuff, but for other things we don't like to talk about, um, I'm going to have, I've made a list so we're going to have to cover these. We can, we can blow through them pretty quick, but I'd be remiss to, to not mention stuff. So some of the stuff, so I'm a Jew and most people, most people still in the U S at least are circumcised, but there's that whole thing around foreskin or whatever. And, and there is a stigma around, around that. Uh, I don't have a lot to say about that, but do you have any, any thoughts on foreskins? Hey, I'm, I'm totally for the whole, um, circumcision. I I mean, I'm totally pro circumcision. So uh, yeah, no, no. I mean, there's some really big, you know, horror inspiration from the whole foreskin thing, um, you know, and a lot of, um, a lot of young guys like to blame a lot of their rage on, you know, the reason they were circumcised, so they would take that um, rage towards authority and doctors. You know, you could just spin off into multiple um, different tales of, of, uh, fear when it comes to being circumcised or uncircumcised, you know, it's, it's a whole, it's another element altogether, you know? Um, Yeah. I bet you, if we looked, we would find some circumcision horror stuff out there. I I'm kind of agnostic on it. I don't have a problem with it. I don't feel lacking having been circumcised at the same time i do know that there are people who aren't a fan of that and that's fine too i think the the story is that men well boys are are traumatized by it i mean it doesn't seem like a, a pleasant thing of course and then there's carrying over of that who knows if that's true there does seem to be legitimately some sensitivity loss so that does seem to be somewhat real but uh, yeah, whether it's initially and, and it's still defended as disease preventing, which some studies suggest perhaps some perhaps say it's exaggerated, but it ultimately comes from a ritualistic and whether that was that's arbitrary and some barbaric thing of the past that we're perpetuating on the youth today. 
yeah, I don't have a really strong opinion one way or another, but I think that could make for some interesting explorations, particularly in horror fiction. Definitely. And my biggest problem with horror fiction, like when I'm reading some of your mainstream authors that I've read um, are guilty of this. And a lot of times they, they write that whole ghost in the machine. There is no explanation for it. So like, I feel like you were to write um, about this rage, you could then insert some sort of background to where this rage stems from in your character. Um, and you can eliminate that whole potential of having that ghost in the machine, you know, um, it's just an easy write-off. It's a one-off. And you get that explanation. And a lot of people, at least me anyway, when I'm reading something, I'm not fulfilled unless I have a little bit of an explanation. You know, some explanation. It doesn't have to even make sense because it's fiction. You know, as long as it has some method to its madness. And I've always been the type to be able to answer instead of leaving it so mysterious. Mm -hmm. um, and, you know. Yeah, that makes sense to me. Absolutely. Yeah, I'm going to have to do a search when this is over. I probably should have already if there is some, there's got to be some stories that focus a bit on this. But you had mentioned something before around the phallic warship. So, you know, the erect penis and all of its its meaning and stuff like that. And also, I can think of some of the most horrific scenes, mostly in horror movies, what is like somebody's dick getting cut off, right? Like there, there tends to be yeah. a lot of that going on. That's, I mean, that's kind of a, I, I don't know if that's a, I would say it's a cheap shot, but of, of course that's going to be pretty visceral and, and awful. It's a thing that sticks out, but that's a, oh, that's yeah. a vulnerability, right? Like a thing yes. that sticks out is like, Oh, look, awesome. I'm pushing myself into the world, but it's also like, Oh man, this is sticking out there in the wind. Yeah. And you know, I've seen, several movies uh well we have real life headline nudes back in the night you know the 90s with the whole Lorena bobbitt thing mm -hmm. uh, but you well, why also don't you, have, not everyone yeah. knows what that is so so why don't oh. you talk a little bit about that real quick okay well long long time ago in uh, a world so far away <laughs> uh we had things called you know tvs and <laughs> they didn't have streaming apps on them and there was like a constant news that had uh, this woman had chopped her husband's penis off with a knife um, and threw it out in the woods or the, the bushes and they had to recover it and sew it back on. And um, I'm sure there's been recently some 2020 20 or 48 hours or so, some show that has covered it uh, just mm. recently. If you're really interested in, in, that, in that sort of uh, news, but it, it happened, in, it happened in real life. And, it made the news because it is such a taboo topic, you know, no one wants to, it's fascinating as well. You know, we're sitting there, you know, 6 PM and the news comes on and you're hearing about some woman on the East coast, you know, lopping off her husband's penis. And it wasn't for worship. It was because of infidelity more than anything. So yeah, um, that was like my first, uh, like real life news event. Um, you know, and then you could segue right into horror. Uh, other than just lopping them off, there was a scene with Willem Dafoe in this movie called Antichrist. And um, it was a movie kind of delving into like women, suppressing women, 
and the suppression of women and a woman rising up. Well, there was a scene in that where his wife was nailing, and this was a very, if you're squeamish, don't go out by the movie or watch the movie. Um, she is nailing him to the floorboard, um, you know, his penis to the floorboard. And it's extremely explicit. Um, and it was just, it, it disturbed me and I'm not easily disturbed. I'm desensitized to a lot of that because I've watched so much of it, but so you have, you know, the real life news and then you have the fictitious and, you know, um, the extreme angle of what can happen to the male anatomy <laughs> in real life, you know? Yeah. Yeah. And the interesting aspect of, well, maybe not that movie, but the Lorena Bobbitt stuff is even there is all almost an element of it's funny, right? Like there's almost an element of it's somehow being fun as horrible. I mean, I kind of like, I even, I shiver cause it's disgusting and awful. And I don't want to, but there's something that's weirdly funny about it. And I don't know what the hell, what that even means. Um, you know, I don't, when I think about it, I'm like, well, that's not actually funny at all, but somehow it's, it's humorous. And I don't, I don't know. I don't really have any commentary on it, but it's just, it's worth us acknowledging how many people find something that horrific funny. And, and I think you can find something funny that you legitimately think is horrific and you're not advocating for it. It's just our psychological response yeah. to absurdity. I don't know. I think, I think you're right there. And, and the whole arena Bobbitt thing was like a, it was a media circus, you know, which we had quite often back then. And um, it had a lot of, humor to it i mean the jokes that come out of that whole thing were just it was unbelievable um and it was humorous it was like the talk at the water cooler yeah you know back when people actually talked to one another so um <laughs> yeah it was it was talk and you know it created a buzz and it wasn't fiction you know and that was the that was the mysticism behind it is when reality can cross that threshold and become just as extreme as some of the fiction that's available, you know, to read. Yeah. And the reaction, I mean, there was a contingent of the population that was just like, good. He got what he deserved. And it's like, all right, all right well, you know, he, if he did things on that were uncool, that's one thing, but he certainly didn't deserve that. Uh, but yeah, it's that I think about this a lot. So there, there's penetration. So in the sex act, right, there's penetration, and it's that's thought to be the aggressive act and the the so if it's a vagina it's uh ass if it's a hole in the wall whatever that's the thing that's that's getting penetrated i'm the phallus is doing it to this thing but there's another way of thinking about it as the this is enveloping this right so if it's a vagina if it's a hole is actually enveloping the digit or the member and that's that's just a, that's as accurate as vice versa. So do you have any thoughts on my really profound <laughs> musing? Yeah, it's like we're taking, you know, a certain risk. Um, we're taking a certain risk by going into that, like, that dark cavern that, you know, we've never explored, or maybe we've explored multiple, you know, for multiple years. But um, it's a risk taking. It's kind of like a you know, when, when you've accomplished that, it's a little bit like a badge of honor, you know, from the male species. Anyway, it's like, a, 
hey, I, I've done that. I've went where no man has gone before, or maybe several men have gone before. <laughs> so um, you just, uh, it, it's like, a, you know, you could just, you could take the phallic, phallic and, or phallus and just do anything you want with it because that's, it, it's just relatable. You know, everything is, um, everything kind of coexists in a, in a nice broad circle. And, um, you know, you, you look at swords and lightsabers and you look at the phallus, you know, the, the similarities are oddly, oddly realistic, you know? Yeah. Um, yeah. Well, and that's also though, to, to do the penetration, it has to be hard, right? This is a very X-rated episode, but people are going to have to deal with it. But uh, so, yeah, I mean, it has to be stiff in order to penetrate like a saw. I mean, there's even the term limp dick, like that's not a, Oh, that's nice. You're a limp dick. No, that's not a positive thing to be called a limp dick. Oh, he's a bit of a limp dick. So there's that too, right? It's like you have to, there's effort that has to be put in there. Phys physiology and psychology have to be working. And if you don't do that, it's a shameful, it's kind of a shameful thing. Like you failed to perform. So there's, there's that pressure around that as well. Yeah. Yeah, definitely. I mean, if you fail to perform, you fail to spill your you know, you, you fail to create, you know, you, you don't, um, you know, when you put a sword in a kiln, the kiln hardens it. Um, in fact, I'm using a kind of a paraphrase from a Stephen King book, which was quite juvenile when he wrote uh, Eyes of the Dragon, actually. And hmm. he mentions, I think it was Eyes of the Dragon. Or it was one of those, you know, yeah. fantasies that he worked yeah. on. And he mentions like hardening the sword in the kiln. And I thought, well, that is a, a really really good way of putting it um you know very subtle you know without being super blatant about yeah. the whole act um but yeah yeah we as a society men you know need to get they they need to forge their blade so to speak you know yeah and and there are pills for it that are out there because it's so important. And in fact, I mean, to a certain degree, it is if, if you don't perform in the relationship after a while, the relationship can suffer. And, and there's a whole, there's a lot of stuff that's going on with that. So yeah, lots of male insecurity around that, but almost, I don't want to say legitimate insecurity, but yeah, if, if, if you can't perform after a while, it's, it does potentially affect your relationships. But so we're talking about hard dicks um people listening well what podcast is this? this is a horror fiction podcast yeah it is deal with it this is part of life so i mean so then there's semen i don't know what there is to say about semen other than i mean a stolen seed so it's 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 visual it's i think porn has done a lot of course the recent proliferation of porn with with all the importance of of that but obviously yeah it's the seed I mean, I'm not, I'm saying pretty obvious things, but in terms of the horror world, of course, there are all sorts of horrible things, you know, viruses, bacteria, things like that could, that can pass along with that. But also, I mean, a lot of people are, I would say even myself to a certain degree, uh, afraid of impregnating people, which is what it's supposed to do, but, but it's like, not that. So I don't know. What do you got on that? Yeah, I mean, um, I I don't, you know, I've never really worried too much on that front, 
but everyone um it is like it's just sex is just so taboo to talk about it's like it's kind of hushed up and put in the corner you know it's not conversed enough about and um i feel that's why we have the problem we have um with you know young parenthood and things of that sort uh but yeah uh but horror in general um i know like stolen seed um there is like it, the title of my newest novella is definitely it holds some of that that element of um the male genitalia uh because in the book that you know from the beginning it's it's more of a metaphor of this person's my serial killer in the book's life and um you know he performs but he performs in other other ways and they're disturbing you know of a disturbing nature um so I hope I, I mean, I, I, I'm trying not to, to veer off topic here uh, too oh, much, fine. but yeah. Um, so the whole seed reference in that title is definitely, uh, you know, a reference to, you know, spelling seed basically um, and how, you know, the seed that survived to create my serial killer actually um, was, was spilled in essence and created this entity you know of who he is today on top of a lot of psychological stuff that i won't get into but cool that sounds really that sounds like a really cool exploration i i like that <laughs> so maybe to conclude our our chat so we talked a lot about of course the sexual components of the male anatomy and just having having it you know there's a lot we didn't talk about we didn't necessarily go into you know um puberty and stuff like that and that's that's the same for for men and women no matter what your analogy is just or you know it's uh what no matter what your anatomy it's just we're growing different parts that's about it but the one thing i think that is central to the male if not reproductive system but the anatomy is it's peeing right and yeah. i don't think we can downplay how central that is to at least the the societal meaning of being a man, right? You're up there, you're standing up. And of course we're, you know, talking about, you know, trans, trans women would be able to do that, but whoever has a dick is standing up and peeing. So whatever you want to call whoever that is standing, you have a dick, you're standing up and peeing, you're directing your stream. There is a, there's a fun, it's fun, but it's also kind of a, it's convenient most women who have to pee in the woods will are always envious of us and it's also kind of a powerful thing like your animals pee in the area to say this is where i've been stay the fuck out so what do you think about peeing with a dick well i honestly think it's uh that whole like pissing contest that we're always talking about um, it's it's a symbol for that, you know, like literally we could have a pissing contest. So if you go back to those. You've stood a bunch of guys and see how far you could piss or spit, you know, and it's that that whole pissing contest comes into mind with that. And it's it's another uh, bravado thing. It's a male like, oh, you know, we have testosterone and we stand up and piss and um 
it's funny because like you expect our first my my wife and I had a hound dog when we first started off and he was a tall big dog and he squatted for the hmm. longest time and I'm like come on that's not a real man you know <laughs> you've got to cock that leg and piss and I thought what did we do to this dog to make him so sissified you know and the first time I took him out to take a piss and he hiked his leg I and again we didn't have technology like today where I could have snapped a video or, or you know got a good shot of it but I was so proud of him and I feel like that whole thing went into like that pissing contest where you know you expect them to to grow up and be men and you know piss the furthest and spit the furthest and, and go longer in life you know um, and as a dad you know that's exactly what you kind of expect out of your kids you want them to go further and maybe that you know standing and pissing is a good thing because it gives us that analogy like you know how far we're going to go in life you know if you were a pisser and you your stream wasn't that strong well maybe you just weren't meant to survive that that natural climb in society that we take that's a fascinating take yeah i think all that can be relevant there's the biological aspect of most dogs if they're going to pee yeah they got to lift their if they have a dick they got to lift their leg to get it out of the way but it's almost like a societal expectation yeah of i remember when i had a puppy yet and it was piss a certain way I'm like you're not doing it right you know you're but that's that's when biology which is obviously real becomes almost societal expectations which can be arbitrary can be positive can be negative so there's a lot there's a lot to it. There's a lot to the male reproductive system, you know, things we didn't get into like dick measuring and then just the testosterone itself and the impact on male biology. And then maybe how that creates certain things like focus and drive, you know, all that can be debated. There's all sorts of different evidence as to how much testosterone really influences people. I mean, it's clear it has an influence. The, the question is, you know, is it, it's not a hundred percent and it's not 0%, but it's somewhere in between there. It's somewhere between one and 99% of quote, what makes a man or whatever. And that's, and that changes over time, the, the testosterone level. So all that is fascinating stuff that we don't need to get into, but. Yeah. I mean, if you merge testosterone with the psyche, it's dangerous. A lot of times, you know, um, the two don't mesh well. And they should, but they don't because every psyche is different, you know, with every person. Right. Um, I mean, the testosterone can be the, the firefighter carrying the people through the floodwaters or testosterone could be shooting up a supermarket. Right. So exactly. Uh, yeah. Either it could go either, either direction. Uh, but anyway, I feel like we did a pretty good job of covering this topic. And I don't think there's probably a lot of horror podcasts who, who did did this at all, much less as well as we did. So I I appreciate you coming on to talk about this. So can you maybe tell us what are you working on now? And then just remind people where they can find your stuff and maybe connect with you. Yeah. Um, that. Yeah. I, well, you can find me at timeaglefiction.com. All my social links are there. Um, I'm currently working on, I, I'm a travel person. So we travel, my wife and I travel the United States for the most part when we're not dormant at times. And we, I'm currently working on a project where I'm writing horror 
based on some of the places we've been. Um, it's it's fictionalized, yet it's semi-biographical, autobiographical. And I'm also working on, um, I recently received a two-star review for Stolen Seed, which I, I received pretty well, considering I usually try not to read the reviews. But um, I it actually was inspirational to me, uh, because Stolen Seed is a, it's a very basic novella with scant detail because it is a novella. So I fly through it and um, it, it opened up a wide variety and it helped me try to finish the newest novella I'm working on. And so that's going to be kind of a collection of seeds, so to speak. Um, each title is going to have the word seed in it in some way, shape or form. And uh, so I'm working on those two things and trying to finish them up before the fall, I'd like to get a couple of releases out there. Um, but my travel fiction horror is going to be short installments on my blog, which is at timigofiction.com, and people will be able to get them for free. And I'm going to try to narrate some of the stuff on my podcast. So once that starts getting developed. That sounds, yeah. that sounds really so, awesome. You know, I, yeah. What were you going to say? So I, that's where they can find me. They can find me anywhere. Um, I have mostly novellas out there. Um, I haven't tackled the novel length uh, work yet. Um, I have, but it just, I feel like novellas are better suited for the attention span out there. And just to nab readers when I can, I will write shorter pieces for that reason alone. Right. Well, that sounds really cool, the travel stuff. It's like Steinbeck's travels with Charlie when he went around the country in his <laughs> RV with his dog and a bunch of whiskey. And this would be the horror version of it. It sounds really great. Yeah, mine won't be as exciting, but you know, they will be horror <laughs> and uh, based on real life things, just with my own spin, you know, so to speak. So I do a little research in the areas where we go travel. So, that yeah. sounds that sounds great. Well, Tim, thank you so much for coming into my nightmare. All right, thanks a lot, Josh, for having me. Appreciate it. Have a good night. Thanks for taking a trip with me through Josh's worst nightmare, where I, Josh Schlossberg survey the dark landscape of biological horror fiction presented by Denver Horror Collective. If you don't want to miss any of the great, and sometimes disturbing, weekly episodes I've got planned for you, be sure to subscribe to Josh's Worst Nightmare on a variety of podcast platforms. You can also sign up for Josh's Worst Nightmare e-newsletter at joshsworstnightmare.com where I share a whole squirming mess of bio-horror, including my infamous haiku horror reviews and my latest dark scribblings. Speaking of which, if you haven't already picked up a copy of my cosmic biological folk horror novella, Moline, from D&T Publishing, you can find a copy of the paperback, hardcover, or ebook at Amazon, Godless.com, or joshesworstnightmare.com. Yours darkly, Josh Schlossberg.